Hello, my name is Rivi Frankel. Welcome to Torat Imecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today, we will be studying Sefer Zechariah, Perak Aleph. Yesterday, we finished the relatively short book of Haggai. And as we start the book of Zechariah today, we see that these two books are written at about the same time. If we take a look at verse number one, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, was the word of Hashem to Zechariah, the son of Brachia, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying. So we see that we're talking about the same relative time period of Shivat Zion, of returning to Israel, specifically to Jerusalem, after 70 years of of Galut Bavel, the Babylonian exile. But there's something important that we need to note at the beginning of our study of Zechariah, that while Haggai and Zechariah are speaking to the same time period and the same population, Haggai is speaking in a way that is very concrete. He's speaking to the issues of the moment. Whereas Zechariah is painting for the population a vision of an ideal world and how that generation can build towards creating it. His hope through his prophecies is that the generation that he's speaking to, that generation of returning to Zion, will be the generation to create a dwelling place for God's essence, for his Shekhinah, for the revelation of Hashem in Jerusalem. And yet what we know, ultimately, unfortunately, Zechariah's generation does not rise to the challenge. They do not pick up the mantle of creating a world that was worthy of the final redemption. And so while we're told in the Gemara in Megillot that every single prophecy that was written down was written down for the needs of the generations to come, Zechariah has an added element that it calls for us to stand and try and learn from the vision of Zechariah. I mean vision both in terms of what he's trying to paint for us as well as the format in which many of his prophecies come. He tries to create this vision for us that we can rise to to create a world that is worthy of the final redemption. And so with that as a knowledge, let's discuss a little bit of the format that the book takes before we jump into the rest of chapter one. So the first part of chapter one we're going to see is not a vision. There's a little bit of an introduction from Zechariah in his first prophecy. And then the rest of chapter one through chapter six will be the visions of Zechariah. The Rambam tells us that there are different types of prophecy, different levels of prophecy. The most being what is called aspeklaria meira, almost like looking in a mirror, which is attributed only to Moshe. And the lowest of that being a divine revelation, a ruach kodesh, that there's some sort of divine inspiration that leads a person. The Rambam explicitly says that the prophecies of Zechariah are the lowest level of actual prophecy. Zechariah doesn't have a prophecy in a dream. He has a vision of prophecy in a dream. And as we'll see very often, a close reading of the text will show that Zechariah doesn't actually hear the word of God in those visions. He hears that something's being said, or he tells us that something's being said. At least he's not sharing what the explicit word of Hashem is. He's describing to us what he sees. And some of the commentaries would like to suggest that this is because we're nearing the end of the time period of prophecy. 
Zechariah is the second to last book in Treyasar, in this last book of prophecy. And he's actually the last prophet that we can date from the text in terms of historical context. There's one more book, Malachi, but Malachi, we have to use um, Chazal and different external sources to try and put him into the timeline of history. Zechariah, however, tells us very clearly, as we just read in verse number one, exactly where he is. And the commentaries say that as we get closer to the end of the time period of prophecy, that we will see a deterioration in the type of prophecy that is being given. Now, the Abarbanel says that can't be true because, number one, we just mentioned Haggai is from the same time period and his prophecy is not such. And number two, we see already from the first verse that it's mentioned that Zechariah comes from an illustrious line of prophets. And so we have to wonder, if that's the case, why are Zechariah's prophecies these visions? We also have to tell ourselves before we set out on this journey of trying to decipher the visions of Zechariah, that there are some times as we come to different images, we won't be able to understand completely what they mean. Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Yabar Benel are very explicit in their opening commentaries. Sturmahi ma'od, says Rashi. It's very hidden from us or blocked from us. The Ibn Ezra even goes as far to say that even if we were to find an ancient book, we wouldn't be able to put everything of Zechariah's visions into context. And so as we go through deciphering the prophecies of Zechariah, we have to remember that sometimes we'll just have to say, we don't know. We can suggest, we can learn, we can try and get lessons for ourselves in order to help create this ideal world of Zechariah, but we won't be able to understand every single image that we read. And that's been a challenge and almost an adventure, as you will, um, of the commentaries throughout the ages. So if we continue now into uh, verse number two and begin the first prophecy of Zechariah, So we see that there is a double language of this word katsaf, this, this root word meaning angry. Hashem was very angry, very, very angry at your fathers, or perhaps is still angry at your fathers. Verse three, so you should say to them, so says the God of hosts, come back, return to me, says the God of hosts, and I will return to you, says the God of hosts. Three different times we use this name of Hashem, Hashem Tzvakot, this God of hosts. It's a very public name of God. It's a God that is out there that everybody can see. Hashem is making a statement that says, you come back to me and I will come back to you. This is significant because as we learned in Haggai, the Jews are wondering, is Hashem still with us? Galut, exile is over, we're back in Jerusalem, but the temple doesn't have the same glory as the first temple. It doesn't feel the same. And Hashem is saying, I am still with you. Come back to me and I will turn back to you. And in verse number four, Pasuk Harishonim. Don't be like your fathers, that the first Rishonim, uh, that the first prophets uh, would turn to them. Return from your bad ways. Don't be like your fathers who didn't listen. 
Verse number five, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, did they live forever? Verse number six, But the only things that are left are these words that I commanded to my servants, the prophets. Um, sorry, that your fathers overlooked. In the end, they had to admit that Hashem has dealt with us according to our ways and according to our deeds, just as he said. Now, the commentators discuss these three verses, four, five, and six, and some suggest that this is actually a conversation between the prophet Zechariah and the Jewish people. But I'd like to suggest a reading that this is all Zechariah's words, the words of his prophecy. And what is he saying? Avotechem ayehem, where are, are your fathers? Did the prophets live forever? Meaning at the end of the day, generations, what's the circle of life? They're not here anymore. The people have passed on. Even the prophets who are the righteous have passed on. That's the circle of life. But what remains forever are the words and the ways that I deal with you. The Ibn Ezra suggests here something beautiful. Zechariah perhaps knows that we are going into the transition of not having prophecy anymore. So when your fathers are gone and when the prophets are gone and you feel like, Hashem, where are you? Because we don't have that intimate relationship that prophecy shows us. Remember, what all is left at the end of this circle of life is that Hashem, Shuvu, Hashem will come back to us. We need to continue to follow his chukim and what he commands us, his laws, and that he will treat us according to our actions. And that's the end of kind of the introduction. And I think that the Ibn Ezra's point is beautiful here, that even in the beginning of his book, Zechariah is recognizing his role as a prophet for the ages, his role as providing comfort to the Jewish people when will come a time where they say, where is Hashem? It's not just the people of his generation who are feeling a lack after the end of this Babylonian exile, but it's the people of generations who may wonder to themselves, is Hashem really with us? And Zechariah so very beautifully tells us, yes, remember, Hashem is still with you. And then we have our first vision, our first of eight, in verse number seven. So on the 24th day of the 11th month of the second year of Darius, insert, that this is the month of Shvat. This is the only time we see Shvat in um, Tanakh. This word of Hashem came to Zechariah, the son of Brachia, the son of Ido. And so now we're going to see the first prophecy in the form of a vision. And and so chapter verse eight tells us that I see in the middle of the night that behold, there is a man standing on a red horse and he's standing between the Hadassim, between the myrtle that is in the, the deep marsh 
of water. So it's a place where it's deep enough that the um, myrtle is being kind of thrown um, backwards and forwards, and that's going to be important later. And after him, behind him, are horses that are red and that are spotted and that are white. Now, some of the commentators will say every single color is important. Every single detail here is important. The Rambam says you can't ask too many questions on a mashal. You can't ask too many questions on a parable. The continuation is that um, Zechariah says, who, who are these? What, what am I seeing? And there's a, a character, a, a figure, an image that we will see again and again called Hamalach Hadoverbi in verse number nine. This angel that is speaking to me who says, I'm going to show you what they are. And these horses were sent out to roam the earth and they come back and they say, the earth is at peace. We have found that um, there is tranquility in earth. And when they come back to report, there is a Malach, there is an angel that says, how long will you withhold pardon from Yerushalayim, from the cities of Yehuda, that there was a curse for 70 years? In verse number 12. And then we see that Hashem, God responds in comfort to this angel who is talking with this passion of how can the world be at peace when your town of Jerusalem, when the cities of Yehuda are still feeling the curse of Galut, of exile? And so in verse number 14, it says, I have a big passion for Jerusalem, says the God of hosts. And if we go to the end of the, of the chapter, what do we see? The last verse, verse 17. Say even more, says Hashem of, of hosts. My towns shall not yet overflow with bounty, for the Lord will again comfort Sion. He will choose Yerushalayim again. Rav Hirsch has a beautiful take on this image and what it's trying to talk about. Generally speaking, he says, horses we see as signs of military might. And he points out that these four horses, these four groups of horses, the one that's being ridden and the other three kinds of horses, the red, the spotted, and the white, are the other nations of the world. And tomorrow we'll talk more about the number four in Zechariah because it'll come up again and again. But he says, in this vision of Zechariah, the myrtle, the hadassim, that is the image of the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people are looking at these military might that are in peace, and they're saying, we as hadassim, we as myrtle, what's our role in the world? Myrtle smells beautiful, but you can't eat it. You can't really use it for any other purpose. Are we ever going to get to a place again where we have purpose? Are we ever going to get to a place again where we feel the strength and the backing of Hashem? And what Rav Hirsch points out is that the response of God to the Jewish people is not one where he says, you will be strong. He doesn't respond to the military might of these four nations. But rather, he says, I will build Jerusalem. I am passionate for Jerusalem. 
there will be a point again where Jerusalem is built up. The myrtle, these hadassim, are in this place where they're being hit back and forwards, but they don't bend. It's an image of the resilience of the Jewish people. Right now, you feel like you're in a deep, dark place. But don't worry, you're not broken. Don't worry, I'm coming back to Jerusalem to build a passionate relationship with you. I haven't left you. So keep weathering that storm. Keep weathering that marsh, that deep, dark place. And know that the day will come when my passion for Jerusalem will be seen in a rebuilding of the city. With that being the end of the first vision of Zechariah, we can already see how by deciphering different imagery, we can hope to inspire ourselves to a place where we can help create the ideal world of Zechariah, a place where the Shrina, the revelation of God can once again rest in the city of Jerusalem. Thank you for studying together. Le'iloi Nishmat, Rivka Schwab, Rivka Bat Alexander Sender.